Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring in the Podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is back with us. JT, how are you? I'm doing all right. It would have been better if the uh, Cats could have won this Saturday and, and had like a you know better weekend overall in the program, but yeah, take what we can yeah. get. Yeah, it was a little rough. Luckily, this weekend, Kansas State's playing a team that Chris Kleiman hasn't lost to yet, getting the Oklahoma Sooners. <laughs> and so we brought on... <laughs> Alan Kenny, the writer for Athlon Sports and Crimson Cream Machine, also hosts the Blatant Homerism podcast. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. So any any truth to the rumor that Oklahoma's leaving the Big 12 because they can't figure out Chris Kleiman? <laughs> that, that is the word on the street. They are tired of banging their heads up against the wall when it comes to uh, the Wildcats. But yeah, yeah, they're, the Sooners are lighting out. That's the, uh, that's the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll talk some more about that later. But uh, I mean, seriously, after you know a couple of surprise wins for Kansas State, you know, is there any different kind of nervousness among OU fans? You know, because of those upsets, you think? I mean, obviously, OU again is the big favorite. Yeah, I mean, how can there not be, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. you know, two years in a row, and you know, I mean, it's kind of the same story with Kansas State. You know, after Bill Snyder left, Chris Kleiman picked up and. They're very, very well coached. They're not making uh, big mistakes for the most part. And, you know, they've been able to capitalize on OU being undisciplined, you know, I think in a lot of, in a lot of cases and yeah, you know, I mean, especially given kind of OU slow start so far this year. Sure. There's a lot of concern, you know, going around Norman right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we did get the, hear the news today from, from climbing, not unexpected, obviously, but it sounds like Skyler is not going to be able to play. So yeah, that's... I'll believe that. I'll believe that when I see it. I'll believe that. When I see it. <laughs> what do you think, JT? Any chance we see Skylar Thompson on the field? Um, I think we'll see him on the field in pregame warmups. You know, <laughs> throw the ball around. He might even be in uniform just just to scare OU a little bit. Uh, but I don't think he's going to play. I think yeah. he's still. Yeah. I think we'll see him back Iowa State game here here in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that seems like the most likely scenario to me as well. And, I mean, the last couple of years, you know, they've been some high scoring yet in case they has figured out how to score against the Sooners defense. But so far this season, I mean, that's been the strength of this OU team. You know, how much better is this defense this year, Alan? Oh, you know, it's pretty good. You know, they've had some issues against, for example, against Tulane, where I think Tulane right. was able to exploit some coverage busts, particularly uh, in the middle of the field with their with OU's linebackers. And, you know, clearly West Virginia found some stuff in the short, you know, kind of quick game that they liked last week that they kept going back to there with that uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton on those slant routes. Uh, but for the most part, though, OU's defense is held up really well. And, you know, especially particularly on the defensive line, they're creating quite a bit of havoc this year. Yeah, yeah. And the defensive line, I mean, how important or what? how difference did it make to get Jalen Redmond back after he sat out the field year? You know, it was, it made a lot of, it, and they did a lot early on, you know, he's uh, sitting right now with, uh, I, I think he had kind of like, you know, a, a knee injury that's knocked him out for a couple of weeks, but you know, for the first three games of the year, he looked like one of their better defensive players overall. And it was a guy that I really thought would take off, but you know, now, you know, I think, oh, you should have him back here in a couple of weeks, but you know, until then they're getting by with the other guys. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, the secondary, you know, you talked about some teams that have found a little bit of success. And look, at the, the cornerbacks are really young. It's, it's a lot of freshmen and, and sophomores 
you know, are those guys vulnerable right now? Or, can, you know, how can you be? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Woody Washington is one of OU's best cover players. And uh, he went out in the second game of the year there against Western Carolina with a leg injury. And, you know, he's going to miss some significant time. So that's been one that uh, his presence has, has hurt. But, you know, th- you know, luckily for OU, they've got three or four guys behind him that they feel pretty good about. You know, there's been some also some injuries at the nickel position where, you know, I think that, you know, some teams have maybe found some one-on-one matchups there occasionally that they can exploit. But for the most part, it's been a pretty good unit, you know, especially on the back end. The safeties have played really well, especially in run support. So, I mean, it's a it's a solid unit. Yeah, and it's those two seniors, Pat Fields and, and Dylan Turner, who are leading the team in tackles right now. So they're, they're kind of the anchors of this defense. Yeah, you know, two guys that are, I think they're both in their third year as full-time starters. Fields is a team captain, you know, kind of one of those guys that they really look to as a leader. Turner Yell has really come on as a, particularly in run support, he's been really strong this year. You know, it's just a, it's just a savvy group that knows where to be at all times. Yeah. And JT, I mean, on the flip side of that, I think some K-State fans have been asking, you know, can these receivers get open against anyone? I, I don't think they can. Um, I mean, they they even struggled against you know Southern Illinois, and that should be a team. I mean, yeah, they've got some talent, but it still should be a team that you know a quality FBS level program, Power Five level program should have enough talent even to get separation, or they should be coached well enough to get separation. And and we're not seeing either of those things happen. So. You know, if OU is even competent on the back end, then <laughs> then they should should be able to to keep K State receivers in check. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, the most frustrating thing for me, and I'm sure for most people, is just you know how many years have now, how many games have we been saying, oh, Malik Knowles is is a guy that could break out, and that I just it's almost like he's regressing at this point. Like, I mean, he's he's had his moments, but not really. This well, season, you know, it's, it reminds me a lot of even Byron Pringle when he was in school, like. He had the talent. It was pretty obvious in, in the speed. But, you know, you get into those game situations and, and he just drops balls or, you know, he just, yeah. you know, can't get open outside of a go route where he can just use his speed to get behind the defender. And, you know, I think we've got a couple quarterbacks that can get him the ball on those, but you can't just call that go route every play. It just, you know, eventually they're going to send a safety high and get an interception or, you know, that the protection is going to break down because that's a longer route to develop and quarterbacks can get sacked. So yeah, I, he's got talent, but there's something missing there with the route skills and, or the catching skills, especially at the top end of the wide receiver core. Yeah. Yeah. And so Alan, I mean, with those issues and with K-State still playing with its backup quarterback, you know, whether that's Will Howard or Jared Lewis, uh, you know, is there any reason for OU not to put seven, eight guys in the box every play? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, OU's actually, you know, teams have been able to do to OU this year is, you know, there's a lot of shortening the game. OU plays a really, you know, kind of small defensive line you know, with, you know, guys who are more like in the 290 range, 260 range, so, you know, somewhere in there, as opposed to, you know, the big 300 pound guys who can, uh, you know, who take up a lot of space. And so teams have been really trying to, I think, kind of uh, out physical them at the point of attack, you know, going on long kind of sustained drives, which is something that I think Kansas State can, you know, maybe have some success with. So, you know, will OU, you know, stacks a extra defender in the box? 
it's definitely something that I'm sure they're at least at the very least considering just based on kind of how Kansas State's personnel matches up with them. Yeah. And I mean, last year, this, or sorry, last week, the Sooners obviously did pretty well holding West Virginia under 50 yards rushing. I don't know how great their rushing offense is, but, you know, was that with the safeties playing up pretty close to the line and, and being a big part of that? You know, part of that was, I think, just West Virginia couldn't really block OU up front. You didn't see much in the way of uh, safeties coming up real quick or anything like that. I think it mainly what I saw was just the defense. They had such a hard time getting blocked. And I thought that it was probably also the best game that OU's interior linebackers have played this year. Yeah. And JT, I mean, you, know, you mentioned the offensive line and they've had their moments this year. Kind of, you know, where are you on how that group is doing? right now as far as opening up holes and providing some pass protection well you know they were off to a great start and the you know first three games they looked you know like a great group and then for whatever reason against oklahoma state they just they couldn't get push they couldn't open up holes for the run game like they've been able to and they struggled in pass protection which is something that i think we've seen you know even earlier this year that you know packs pass protection isn't always the greatest but they've got some big guys and smart guys like they should be able to hold up better than they did against Oklahoma State. And for whatever reason, you know, Pokes just had K-State's number on the line uh, yeah. in both phases. And I'm not like down on the group as a whole. I think, you know, they'll rebound. Connor Riley's a great coach and they'll rebound. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see just how much they rebound against, you know, OU and what they're going to try to do along that defensive front. Yeah. And I know, Alan, one of the talking points uh, for, for K-State fans from the last two games against OU was that it was, you know, kind of a big third quarter that propelled Kansas State, which is weird because it's more or less the opposite of what K-State has done in every other game most of the past two seasons. They're struggling in the third quarter. Yeah, so we have a kind of a hard time explaining that. Is that any kind of an issue that Oklahoma's had? Or, you know, how do you look at those, those two third quarters? Good question. Yeah, you know, their first game of the year uh, against Tulane, OU came out and, you know, they were rolling. And um, the Green Wave were able to kind of uh, stem the uh, the momentum there in that third quarter, like you mentioned, and put together some drives that got OU in trouble. So, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily something that has been a huge issue from what I've seen, but, you know, it's definitely a matter of, I, I think a lot of, fans wonder about the team's focus and those are the kinds of uh, slip-ups that have you know kind of brought those issues uh, to light yeah certainly jt anything i would say that was maybe the one bright spot from last week in case they'd actually had a good third quarter yeah it was, was I, I think the first time they'd won the uh <laughs> the third quarter since since the ou game last year yeah um <laughs> And, you know, that's, that's a, that's, well, I, you know, against Kansas, but that doesn't really count. <laughs> I mean, everything anybody does against Kansas works. So, it, you know, it's not like that's, you know, a real bellwether there, but yeah. Yeah. I, and that's something, you know, to Alan's point about focus, that's something I think some of us on the outside are seeing as well. Like there's rumors about Lincoln Riley, not, you know, wanting to be in college anymore and thinking about pros, like, does he have a foot out the door? Is the coaching staff not focused or the players not focused? They just don't look like, like they have, you know, even just up to last year. So they don't look like the dominant Oklahoma of the big 12 that we're used to. Yeah. There's, there's something amiss even from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. You know, you definitely hear a lot of that talk, you know, I think that one thing that I maybe do buy into, you know, and I mean, cause I'm not there with the team. I don't know what the psychology of everything looks like, but 
you know, like one thing I do wonder about though is, you know, and this is kind of, I mean, a total first world problem, you know, but I mean, this is, OU's won the league six years in a row, I think now. And like after a while, that can kind of build in some complacency, you know, I mean, and so you don't know if it's a matter of them, maybe, you know, not necessarily being all in all the time, but just one of those things where maybe they're not necessarily, their heads aren't necessarily in the right space. You know, normally what happens (laughs) getting to OU the past few years has been they'll lose a game that they really shouldn't have lost. And then all of a sudden kick it up into another notch, but you know, it's just hard to say right now. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the biggest issue in Norman right now has been the offense. Let's switch over to that. First, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we're back. So again, talking about the Oklahoma offense, and I think I saw one of your previews you've written about how much less explosive they've been this season. And obviously they haven't been scoring as many points. So, you know, what's the level of concern right now? Oh, I mean, if you were watching last week, you you know, you heard uh, the, the booze and some of the fans. I, I'm pretty sure was, those were, uh, you know, students uh, calling for Spencer Rattler's job. Right. I, you know, don't, I mean, yeah, you got to share a lot of those concerns, but, you know, I'm also looking to at, at what other teams are doing. And like I mentioned earlier, there's a whole lot of milk in the play clock, shortening the game, you know, which means that OU's not, you know, they're probably down like I'd say two possessions per game from where they were, you know, a year ago, which just, that's just fewer, you know, opportunities to even be on the field. Teams are really also playing OU with a lot of loose kind of loose zone coverage, which is, you know, making it harder for, uh, you know, OU to find those deep balls that uh, their offense kind of builds off of. So, you know, it's part of it, I think, is a tendency thing. Part of it's a personnel thing. But, you know, I mean, there's legitimate people are legitimately concerned about it. And rightfully so. Yeah. And I think I, I saw in one of your previews, I don't remember, maybe that there was Virginia game, you know, you kind of suggested that that maybe Lincoln Riley hadn't opened up his playbook as, as much as he will and we'll start to see more of that. And Similarly, that maybe they, they weren't given as many carries to Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks early to kind of save them. You know, do you think that's part of it? And they'll, they'll start doing more as those guys get more involved? Well, you know, I think that, you know, I'm not as convinced about the stuff about keeping the playbook, you know, kind of closed off because I think a lot of the, the issues are really just are really on the offensive line right now that they're just not they haven't really gelled just quite yet i think that the change at the center position in my opinion is really really i mean ou runs a lot of their protection schemes and blocking assignments through the center and uh with that changing over from creed humphrey to uh robert Condrell to now andrew rame this season that's just you know i mean there's just the stuff's getting missed i think and you know i'm not sure that if, if blocking assignments are always clear to guys i'm not sure if everybody's necessarily on the same page so until they can get that kind of ironed out it really limits what i think what you can do as an offense so you know that i think is the bigger issue in terms of not you know necessarily showing their entire hand more like they, I think they, I'm not sure they can, you know, when it comes to the running backs, I, I do think that, you know, 
Riley is trying to kind of manage the hits that they're taking by keeping their carries down. That's just me speculating, but the numbers are pretty clear. But, you know, at some point, again, though, you know, that also goes back to the issues with cohesion on the offensive line. You know, I mean, if they have to, you know, if they're pounding out, you know, two, three, four yards a carry, as opposed to some years where they've been able to get up in the six to seven range, you're naturally going to take more hits. You know, it's just a math problem at that point. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the offensive line, there's a, there's a lot of experience on that group, a lot of seniors. So is that kind of surprising to see some of those issues they've had there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, part of it is they've got some guys in different positions that they have, you know, for example, they moved Tyrese Robinson from right guard to right tackle. Marquise Hayes is still at left guard, but you know, he's certainly had his moments this year where I think people were questioned, you know, kind of where his head's at. You know, they've had kind of a revolving door at left tackle between Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris, with Morris, I think, taking over, maybe taking over the spot last week from Harrison. And then the center position, you know, Andrew Rain was uh, sick right before the start of the season, missed a couple weeks, I believe, of practice. And so that, you know, kind of just, you know, really highlighted kind of the continuity issue, I think, at the center position. They plugged in a guy named Robert Conjol, who had transferred from Arizona, who they like and who saw it, but he's not just not the caliber of athlete, you know, that Andrew Rame is. But, you know, again, like I mentioned, with the center being kind of the nerve center of the entire offensive line, and in a lot of cases, you know, also the blocking schemes and protections for the backs and receivers, it just throws everything kind of out of whack. Yeah. And JT, I mean, how important is it for Kansas State to be able to, you know, get some pressure on the defense, especially in the passing game? It seemed like, you know, that was really how they stopped Nevada's passing game. And maybe, like you said, they they didn't do as well against Oklahoma State. You know, is that kind of where this defense is going to have to to be better? Yeah, I mean, they struggled to get pressure on on, uh, Spencer Sanders last week, and he had all sorts of time to, to throw and create. I mean, clearly, you know, last year, part of the reason for the upset was K-State defense got in Spencer Rattler's head and Mm -hmm. uh, laid especially and caused a lot of miscues. I I don't think they quite hurt Jalen Hurts like that a couple years ago, but they still got some more pressure, I think, than he had been used to up to that point in the season. So, uh, you know, clearly for any team, if you can get pressure on the quarterback, it's going to cause issues. You get pressure on Patrick Mahomes and he starts making mistakes. Petra, you know, on Tom Brady and he starts makes mistakes. So clearly they've got to get some pressure, you know, and they, they were getting it really good with that, with that three man front early on for what, whatever reason, it, it just wasn't quite as effective against Oklahoma state. I'm not sure if maybe they, they practice against that more often or what, but it is a similar style that West Virginia runs. So, you know, seeing kind of how, how much, you know, some success that the Mountaineers had against, um, OU's offense, at least limiting some of those things. I think that strategy will be okay for the you know the Wildcats to continue with that three-man front, but but they've definitely got to do a better job of disguising the blitzes and the pressures. And I think that's something that they've what they've lost with Cleed Duke being out for the season. He was really yeah. good at that because he could, I mean, on the drop of a hat, drop back into coverage or come on a blitz, and you weren't sure which. And now. You know, with the guys they have available there, it's it's a little bit more obvious, you know, when they're coming in for a blitz or who's come in to be in coverage. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I appreciate all the talk about Kansas State's improved depth this year, and it's been helpful, but still you lose a guy like Khalid Duke, it's uh, you're going to feel it. So that's been tough. But, yeah, like JT talked about, you know, K-State did get some pressure on Spencer Radler, and he seemed to unravel a little bit. And I think that wasn't the only game necessarily that happened last year. And obviously he's, he's had his struggles this season too. You know, is it more of a, of a mental thing for him than anything else? Is he you know, how's he handling the pressure? Oh, you know, I think that that's kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? You know, I honestly do think though that a lot of the problems it's, you know, people always want to point to one thing and it's really never just one thing. You know, I think that part of the issue here is that OU's offensive line, like I said, he's a little, he's, he's worried about the protection. And so, you know, it's kind of a chicken egg thing there, but you know, for all the criticism he's getting, and again, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those deals where you're the quarterback at Oklahoma. It kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. You know, I think I would put Rattler down the list of where OU's issues really are at this point. Okay. And so what about the, you know, the receivers? There have been a lot of guys catching passes. I think there's about four of them that are somewhere between 150, 200 yards or something. But there's not really that one guy that, that stepped up and been consistent force, obviously, yet, you know. Does Oklahoma need that to happen? And who's the most likely to kind of step into that role? Uh, need it to happen? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But, you know, like they have Jaden Hazelwood, for example, coming back, who he missed most of last season with a knee injury. And he's still, you know, I mean, he's starting to come on, but, you know, he's still inexperienced. You know, I think that uh, they've gotten a lot of out of Mario Williams, who's a five-star freshman, who – you know, I mean, he's kind of one of those guys, if Lane Kiffin was, you know, running OU's offense, I think that he'd see probably, you know, 10, 11, 12 touches a game. You know, Marvin Mims is another guy who is, you know, contributed some big plays in the past. He's had kind of a quiet year so far, at least hasn't necessarily taken the, the step forward that everybody expected. But, you know, the, the kind of the, the guy that they found last week was Mike Woods. He's a transfer from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He and Rattler seem to have pretty good chemistry, and he made some really big plays for OU in big spots. So that's definitely one guy that I would keep an eye on because, you know, he's kind of a, he's at OU so he can get to the NFL, if that makes sense. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's so he's really kind of motivated and seems to be kind of stepping up as a go-to type guy at this point. Yeah. So then on the other side of that, JT, you know, if you're K-State's defense, how do you stop the most dangerous receiver? Don't you have to help or how do you put on him? Well, you're probably going to have to shade help his way. That means taking a safety out of the, you know, potential run game, run support, slash keeping an eye on on Spencer Rattler. So whichever side, you know, he's on is, you know, you're going to have to to shade a, a safety that way or an extra linebacker that way, depending on what route he's kind of running and really keep that on. You know, I want to say, you know, this might be a game for somebody like Julius Brents to really step up. I mean, we heard a ton about him in the off season, you know, the Iowa transfer that come in and, and looks like a, you know, an NFL caliber cornerback and he hasn't always played like it so far this season, but you know, this could be the kind of game for a player like that, where, you know, if he's, ready you know to stick him on an island and say hey you know you're gonna go one-on-one and this is where you're gonna make your nfl paycheck right here you know you're, you're gonna shoot up the draft board if you can if you can cover this guy and stay on him and and keep him from catching the ball so you know that's there's you know really it, the, i think the more traditional way and probably what we'll see is that that shading safety and maybe with a combination of of having brents 
on the top guy. Mm-hmm. And so, Alan, you know, you talked about some of the the issues of the offensive line and our stuff that, that's kind of keeping OU from maybe doing everything they want to on offense. But you know, what about with the defense so much improved, especially after since the Tulane game? And you know, besides the obvious of limiting the opponents to fewer points. You know, do you think that changes how they approach anything offensively? Yeah, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I've kind of pointed out is the past two games, Nebraska and West Virginia, I mean, they both took, you know, 15, 16, 7 played, 17, pardon me, played drives to start off the game and, you know, bled seven, eight, nine minutes off the clock on their first, you know, possession. And, you know, one of the things that I suggested is, well, oh, you could maybe try to, uh, you know, get a little bit more aggressive there in that first possession, make something happen, you know, as opposed to, you know, sticking with kind of a base scheme and letting them kind of matriculate the ball down the field. But then again, you know, it's kind of one of these deals where if that's the game that other teams want to play, I mean, Oklahoma's defense is, you know, playing pretty well. Oklahoma's, you know, special teams are actually superb i mean they've got a great punter a guy uh, michael turk who transferred over from arizona state who's been really good and uh you know really strong field goal kicker and gabe burkich who uh, hit the game winner last week and has hit you know three or four already from 50 plus this year so you know it's kind of one of those deals where you know teams might choose to want to play OU that way but it's not necessarily a game that that OU doesn't want to play if that makes sense but you know i mean eventually they're going to have one of those games where, you know, teams are going to be able to move the ball. And so, you know, at some point they're going to have to just get the offense in sync. Yeah. And when you mentioned the punt in and JT, I think one of the guys most important to K-State's defense might be Ty Zentner. Obviously he had a pretty good weekend punting uh, against Oklahoma State. So oh, yeah. That was nice to see. Yeah. You know, and punt coverage has always been a, a strong suit for K-State, but definitely helped turn the tables quite a bit and you know set up the defense really well and especially in the second half there which helped keep the cowboys from doing further damage on the scoreboard yeah yeah and hopefully they'll be able to to carry some momentum over and then you know another thing i wonder you know we saw daniel green go out and then um i'm I'm liking on his name but who was it that came in and replaced him uh nick allen yeah, Nick Allen, and, and did really well. So yeah, he played very well know, for. Yeah, so with Daniel Green back in the lineup, where does Nick Allen fit in now? I think he's still, you know, you keep him as primary backup. Mm-hmm. Now he played great, and you know he might see more snaps to keep mm-hmm. Daniel Green a little fresher, especially towards the end of the game. But I mean, you you got to have Daniel Green on the field. He's he's yeah. your best <laughs> middle defender. You know, one of the best you know defensive players on the team overall, and you've got to have him out there. But you know. Maybe Cody Fletcher loses a few snaps, but he played well too. So, you know, having a guy like that as a primary backup isn't a bad thing. And I, I think he'll get a few more snaps, but nothing too crazy. You won't, not enough that a casual fan would go, oh man, Nick Allen just got like 20 more snaps this game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, Allen, I mean, I know you're, you're pretty in tune with the, with the conference as a whole. So, I'm sure you've watched some, some Kansas State as well. If you're Oklahoma, you know, how would you attack Kansas State offensively on Saturday? Oh, you know, I think right now, you know, you look to trying to see if you can get some of those one-on-one matchups and and figure out what Kansas State's going to give you. You know, I mean, that's kind of been the uh, issue for Oklahoma in the first couple games is, you know, teams playing to uh, limit the big plays. 
you know, you got, it takes patience to run that kind of offense and, and, you know, being in sync with uh, your, your quarterback and receivers. And so, you know, looking at what Kansas state's doing um, on the uh, edges, I think is going to be really important. And then at some point, you know, trying maybe to get running back Eric Gray loose in space. That's where he seems to operate best to me. You know, he's a good enough runner between the tackles. But if you can get him, you know, one-on-one on swing passes, screens, something like that, just see what you've got there because he is uh, pretty dynamic in the open field. And then lastly, you know, just getting the running game going. I don't know if Lincoln Riley feels comfortable, you know, with, you know, his backs getting 20, 25 carries, but... You know, just they need to figure out a way to manage that a little bit better just so that they can, you know, be a little bit more well-rounded, I guess would be the way to put it on offense. Yeah. And JT, I mean, we talked about how great K-State's run defense has been, but the, the first half of last week, it, it seemed to have a lot of issues, you know, kind of what happened, what changed? Oh, I, I think maybe they bought into their own hype a little bit. Um, <laughs> clearly not getting any sort of push on the defensive line was an issue, but again, it, it seemed like Oklahoma state had, you know, whatever they had figured out the pre-snap alignments or something. And we're always running away from pressure where, you know, you know, the, the new linebackers were going to come from one way. And so they ran the other way and, you know, and they've got a great running back there too. So that's, you know, that, that helps too. I'm sure these guys struggled tackling Deuce Vaughn in practice. So, (laughs) You know, that definitely plays a part of it. But And something else we didn't see against Oklahoma State that we had seen previous games was that rally to the ball. There was a lot of, you know, solo tackling trying, you know, trying to go on, which at this level is just not possible unless you're just a crazy elite athlete. You know, a team like K-State's got to rely on, you know, that mob mentality that, that they've talked about before, which, you know, that you want three, four guys, you know, in the picture when, you know, a guy's being tackled, you don't want him to escape one guy's arm tackle and, and have nobody else around. So they'll have to get back to that team defense playing together and, you know, getting to the ball carrier quickly as a group and not trying to play hero defense. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we see more of that for sure. Well, Alan, before we get to a prediction, we do have to talk to you about Oklahoma you know, making a lot of K-State fans sad, leaving for the SEC. And uh, let's start with the question that we can't ask Texas as much as they would like to claim Oklahoma's success for their own. And that is, you know, <laughs> why leave a conference that you're dominating so much? Like you talked about six straight titles. Yeah, that's really the question, isn't it? You know, I think that, I think there are a couple things going on here. One, I think that OU's administration is kind of hearing from the fans about stuff like, you know, it seems silly, but the kickoff times, things like that. I mean, you know, Joe Castiglione and Joe Harris, they're hearing about that, you know, upstairs and hearing about, you know, kind of the big 12 being treated as kind of last in line. And they're also, you know, they're looking at like things like recruiting and the idea that, you know, the the SEC is going to be so out far out in front of everyone money wise coming up. It's going to be hard to, you know, retain coaches or build the kind of facilities you need to keep up. You know, it's one of these things where, I think that looking to the future of college football and what the uh, SEC can do, it was kind of a thing where if OU wants to, feels like they want to have a you know competitive national championship caliber program, they had to make a move. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much does moving to the SEC 
you know, improve Oklahoma's recruiting? Or is it more of a, like, in the future, the recruiting would have declined if you didn't make the move? Oh, I think that it's kind of like that. I mean, you know, there, there are certain ways to, uh, the latter that is, there are certain ways to kind of think about this where, I mean, imagine, for example, if OU decided to stay in the Big 12 and Texas, you know, recruited, you know, convinced the SEC to take Texas Tech along with it. Well, then all of a sudden you've got Texas and Texas A&M and the SEC together and OU's trying to recruit against that, you know, I mean, there's just, there were a lot of vulnerabilities, I think, for, you know, OU's kind of standing, I think, in the national landscape without making this move. I think that is kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, still the the timing piece is up in the air. You know, what are your thoughts? How many more Kansas State, Oklahoma games are we going to see? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think... I think for everyone's sanity, it would probably be for the best if they went ahead and, you know, went their separate ways after this season. And I, I know there's there are a lot of people who think that they'll work really hard to get that done. I'm not necessarily convinced, but I can't imagine that we'd go beyond 2023. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, let's get sentimental a little bit here. What, what are you going to miss about the Big 12? As a, as oh, man. Like, the thing is, is that I look at the Big 12 and – you know, for all the talk about, oh, well, these teams don't recruit well, or they don't bring in a lot of TV uh, money or what have you. The thing is, is that I think that Big 12 programs really care. Like, you've got a lot of programs that are kind of of like minds when it comes to how much they value football. And, you know, I mean, you look at, I, th- I think a program like Kansas State's actually a really good example you know, despite the fact that, yeah, you know, they're not recruiting like Georgia or, you know, Louisiana state, they do bring in uh, really, they, they've put a lot of thought into how they, you know, what kind of identity the program will have. They've hired good coaches, you know, they do a lot to kind of stretch all their resources to have the best kind of program that they have. And, you know, I look at like, for example, the SEC, and you're talking about, a conference where a lot of times it just seems like there's not much innovation. It's kind of whoever has the best players is the team that wins. And that was never what I got out of the, uh, out of the big 12. I mean, there were teams any week where you were worried that the coaching staff could put up, you know, put together a really, really, you know, dynamite game plan that could take you out without, you know, necessarily having the same caliber of players on the field. Yeah. And then what about, I'm sure, you know, especially in football, you consider Texas its primary rival, but, you know, you've got the rivalry with Oklahoma State. Do you think that will continue in any way, or is it going to be like a KU-Missouri type split where they don't want to play against them mm. anymore? Yeah, you know, obviously you'd, you'd hope that they can keep it going because it's yeah. a, it, as in-state rivalries go, it's pretty good. But, I mean, if I'm Oklahoma State, I would certainly understand if you wanted to take a break or, you know, mm-hmm. not because – you know, I mean, uh, I understand the sore feelings over this for sure, uh, you know, for anybody in the conference. So, I, you know, I mean, if it came, if it comes down to it and Oklahoma State says, no, nah, man, you guys left, we're, you know, we're, we'll play when we feel like it. I think that that's perfectly, perfectly defensible. Yeah. And then, you know, looking ahead as far as scheduling things, you know, what are your expectations or kind of what did you want to see? as far as divisions maybe and who Oklahoma's going to play in the SEC schedule? Oh, 
yeah, I you know, I haven't really given that much thought. I think they'll probably end up going with something like a pods alignment, just the, the way it's kind of trending. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, they're obviously OU will be paired with Texas. I got to think that they'll want to put A&M with those two and then probably Arkansas in a pod, which, I mean, I think would be, you know, a little, pretty spicy just based on history. Yeah. Um, well, Arkansas looks so, a lot tougher than you know, three weeks ago, right? <laughs> yeah, they do, don't they? They do, you know, and I think that Arkansas probably would like that, the opportunity to play, you know, get more games in Texas uh, yeah. with that. So, yeah, that's, you know, it, it could end up being a, a win, 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 win. Yeah, uh, JT, you have anything to add as far as the, the realignment goes? No, I just I would caution, you know, Oklahoma and Texas fans to look at what happened in Nebraska. You know, they they started out real strong in the Big Ten, and now they're just kind of, you know, uh, and also ran and, and not really, you know, looked at it. I mean, even Missouri, they, they switched, and now they're kind of towards the bottom half of the SEC, and they're even in the quote-unquote easier division of the SEC. We don't need to Missouri. Obviously spent a ton of money and got a good coach. And so they're coming back up, but there's, you know, still some, some question marks there. So, you know, the grass isn't always greener. And I, you know, I think a lot of fans are going to look back nostalgically and go, man, we shouldn't have left the big 12, all those schools that we, we got along so well with over the years, just to make a little bit of money in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the, you know, the, the risk on, on it, right? I mean, you know, despite, you know, whatever whatever the sh- shortcomings in the kind of, you know, big industrial part of college football, right? Like the Big 12 has, like, you, I mean, like I said earlier, has programs that really like football and, you know, for all the, uh, the perception of infighting, I mean, you know, Oklahoma has a long history with Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, you know, I mean, on down the Iowa state on down the line. And that's the part of it that, you know, I mean, you know, that part, that part of it just sucks, I think yeah. personally, but you know, yeah, definitely a lot of, yeah, a lot of memories, some good, some not so good for, for case in the <laughs> Oklahoma series. So yeah, but, uh, hopefully, you know, we get some more good ones this weekend should be interesting. You know, got the, got the two thirty kickoff, which I, I feel pretty good about. Happy with that. So, Alan, you want to give us a prediction for this one? Oh, man. I think that uh, just based on the way things are going with OU, you got to think it's going to be pretty low scoring, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think OU wins, but, uh, man, you know, this is a scary environment, I think, if you're a, an OU fan just based on Kansas State's success and uh, also the fact that, you know, these guys really haven't played in big, true road games. Um, their careers so you know I mean I, I mean I see OU winning by you know something like 28 24 something pretty close yeah yeah I think maybe JT we did like like we, we talked about before the game we saw maybe some issues with playing in that run environment for Kansas State last week for sure so yeah is this gonna be Oklahoma's first true road game it is, yeah. They've played all four at home so far. They were supposed to play on the road at Tulane in week one, but the hurricane switched the venue. Right. I seem to remember that. So, it, I mean, that could be a definitely a, a challenge for OU. We saw that for Nevada in week three against K-State. We saw that for K-State against Oklahoma State there last week. Nobody's played in a raucous road environment since twenty, you know, the end of 2019, and there's a lot of players that just they haven't played in that environment in a long time or at all. And so it'll be be really interesting if K-State can use that to their advantage to come out early 
and you know pounce early and get get some pressure and get you know a, a, an early score and make sure the fans are really into the game. We don't want them out because you know whatever the fans can do, I think is going to be helpful to the team. Yeah, it's going to be different than we've seen than we're you know outside observers, people that that normally watch the game to see, you know, and it's like, oh, well, used used to loud environments, you know, whatever, but it's different on the road. And when you haven't experienced it in a while, it's definitely a shock to the system. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the line I'm looking at has OU by 10 and a half, which makes sense why they do that. Hopefully K-State will be able to to make it a game, but we'll see. Alan, we always appreciate you coming on, sharing your expertise with us. So. Thanks. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, JT. Thanks. So, so, yeah. Yeah.